0: Well, good morning, Whitneyville Bible Church. Will you please stand and join us as we open our service and worship this morning, praising our solid rock, Jesus Christ, this morning. Let's sing together. Good morning, morning. each and every one. My name is Dave Tanner. I'm one of three pastors here, and we would like to welcome each and every one of you, whether you're here face-to-face or joining us online, welcome. If you're a visitor here for the first time, we invite you to fill out one of these Let's Connect cards and put it in the offering plate or in the connection card box back there on the sound booth. And uh, if you have a prayer request, uh, you can put that on there. As, as well, by way of announcements, just going to highlight a few items that are here in your bulletin. Uh, the craft sale is going on right now it 's behind that wall.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <coughs> Pastor Jonathan, if nobody 's here during the, the service, you know where they 're at. <laughs> you might need to take the pulpit over in there, so <laughs> um, but uh, yeah we 're having a bake sale, and it 's um, it's to raise funds for uh, a mission trip that will be uh, that will be happening here in, in August, and so we invite you. Just uh, that room is full of uh, snacks and crafts, and uh, we invite you to check that out and uh, pick up some items. And uh, j- again, just a way to uh, support the team that uh, that is going on this mission trip. Uh, tech team, uh, we still they still still need help. Uh, the training is free, and they have the best seats in the house. Their chairs can <laughs> swivel. They go up and down the most comfortable seats. Um, I just wish I was computer savvy. I would probably sign up, but um, they really do need help. Uh, it's on a rotational basis, and uh, so maybe once once a uh, Sunday every, every month. Um, so anyway, pray about that, and get with one of our deacons, or fill out this connection card, and uh, let let us know um, if you could um, help in that ministry. And then on uh, July 30th, uh, they're going to clean some carpets and uh, we need help moving furniture um, and, and whatnot in the, in the growing room and nursery. And so if you could come and help out and do that, on, uh, uh, they need to have it done on the 30th because August 1st is when um, the cleaning is going to take place. All right, great. It's light stuff, light <laughs> light stuff. So we don't need. It's it's not back breaking work. Okay, no. Okay, all right. Very very nice. So easy peasy, lemon lemon squeezy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, very good. And then please put on your calendars. Um, August fifth, Saturday, August fifth. We're doing a community outreach. Uh, by a, a cookout, and this is being sponsored uh, by our men's ministry team, but every single one of us are invited uh, to this event. Um, I think Connor's got some plans for uh, games and things, some fun things for families in our community and for our church family as well, and then Pastor Jonathan will be, bring, be bringing a, a gospel message as well. So again, this is an outreach opportunity. Uh, we ask that you um, could start praying, uh, how you could help out in that. We need help to make this happen, but also be in prayer for those that would come, that may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that would God would start doing a work in their hearts now, and they would be receptive uh, to the word, the gospel. And then one thing that's not on your bulletins, uh, one of the, the joys for us as pastors is to interview or to talk with people who have come forward and, and desire to join our church. And last Sunday, uh, Pastor Jonathan and myself had an opportunity to talk to Michael and Cheryl Murphy. Michael, could you just raise your hand? It's, if you guys have not, thank you, that's yeah. even better yet, yeah. standing. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> So if you guys have not met this couple yet, uh, you, really, you really need to. Just, uh, just a blessing uh, they are uh, to our, our church family. And so per our constitution, uh, Pastor Jonathan and I see no reason uh, why they shouldn't join the church. But per our constitution, uh, we give the congregation two weeks um, to give us maybe a biblical reason why they shouldn't join. So, for example, I've said this before, if, you've been, if you go to the post office and you see a picture on the bulletin <laughs> board with the word wanted, we want to know about it. If you see something on social media that, um, boy, you know, biblically, I don't know if they should be joining us. We need to know about that. So, uh, so two weeks, be praying about that, thinking about that. Absolutely, you need to meet them. And, uh, and then, so then on, on August August 6th, I think it is, yes, August 6th, um, we'll be bringing them into uh, the fellowship if, if you can't give us any biblical reason why they shouldn't join. Uh, Pastor Jonathan will probably announce this, but I'll say it right now, for the kids that are in here that go to Bible Blast, we're not going to be able to go in that room. <laughs> I think we would like to be in that room, but... <laughs> But uh, when you leave uh, the auditorium, take a right, and we're going to meet in room three. Pastor Jonathan again, I believe, will will make that um, will make that reminder. As we go to prayer, uh, in your bulletin there was uh, the the uh, prayer request bulletin, and uh, we want to we want to go to prayer and and ask the Lord for help and wisdom in these. But but there's also some um, there's some praises as well. Uh, Jackie Huntington had uh, knee surgery, and she's with us today, and uh, we, that is an, an she is an answer to prayer. So so good to have her back. And then uh, the family of the week is Ed and Kathy Costers, and they're sitting back there. We've been praying for for uh, Ed. There's been some kind of a tumor, a cyst on his pituitary gland, and. Um, it's not cancerous, and the, uh, the doctors are just going to monitor it. And so that is a praise as well. One other prayer item as we go to prayer is that uh, Regina uh, Tran uh, fell down some steps this morning. Uh, she's doing okay, but she's, uh, she's hurting, and so we'll, we want to pray for her as well. Well, before we go to prayer... Our call to worship passage is from Psalm 98. And if you're in the Christian Standard Bible, that's in the chair in front of you. You see at the top, it's praise the king. This is a psalm regarding uh, the millennial, or not the millennial, but the kingdom rule of Jesus Christ. It's just just nothing but excitement, excitement. And so as we come to verses 8 and 9, we see that continuing. Psalm 98 verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you again for Christ Jesus and the great salvation he has provided for us of delivering us from Satan's domain. And he is no longer our father of those of us who put our trust and confidence in him, what he did for us at Calvary and rose again. But you're our father and we're so glad and so thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, that we are no longer bent to his kingdom but we're bent now towards your kingdom because you reign. We're a new creation. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. What marvelous love and grace and mercy, Lord. And I pray that during this next hour and this day and the week ahead and the weeks and months ahead, years ahead, that we never forget the great salvation that you have done for us, and that we would live with eternity in mind. Lord, we we have these folks here um, in front of us, Dave Bender, and again, another praise how you have worked and, and will continue to work, and And though he'll never get rid of the cancer, the doctors have told him that that there's no reason that he couldn't live a a, a normal life. So we thank you, Lord, how you've worked. And we know that these treatment radiation can take a lot out of you. So we pray that, um, that you'd give him strength as he moves forward with treatment. We pray for Diane, Lucher's husband David and the physical needs that he has. Pray for Fern's brother as well and his physical needs, and our brother Mark Thompson with this diagnosis of, of bladder cancer. Lord, would you please work in their minds and in their hearts? And may they sense your peace. Lord, help them to see that you're in control of absolutely everything. And we pray, Lord, for, yes, we pray for their healing. But even more so, we pray for their spiritual journey in all this. Lord, I pray that, um, that they would keep their eyes focused on you. Thank you so much, Lord, for for Jackie Huntington and, and going through this knee surgery. And it's so good to have her here with us. And uh, therapy can be tough, as you know. It can hurt. And so, Lord, I, I pray as she goes through therapy that um, that you would you'd give her the strength to, to go through it, to get through it. We thank you again, for your, your watch care over Regina in, in her fall. It could have, been, uh, could have been worse than what it is, and, and we thank you, Lord, that even though she's beat up, she's able to get around somewhat. So, Lord, I pray that, that you would heal her body as well, and, and in the pain and whatnot, Lord, help her, too, to focus on you. Lord, what marvelous news, too, how how you've worked in Ed's life and with this tumor or cyst, whatever it is, Lord, and how it's not cancerous. So we thank you so much for that. We thank you for Ed and Kathy and just them being one of the pillars of our church and how they're involved and how much they love us. Thank you, Lord, for their life and we pray that um, we pray for them that they'll continue to be a blessing to those that they come in contact with. Lord, as we look back, can't help but think just how good you are. How gracious you are. How much you love us. What an awesome God we have, who we have the privilege of calling our living God, our Father, the one who will never leave us nor forsake us. And so now, Lord, as we continue on with our worship service here together, I pray that um, I pray that is if there's any sin that's hindering us. I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would reveal it to us. We probably already know it. Lord, help us to confess it so our relationship is right with you as we sing praises to you, as we give an offering, as we hear your word. Lord, we want to be right with you before we do all this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in each and everyone's heart and convict us of sin that we know about. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of this idea of confessing our sins and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because that's what we want to do here. We want to rightly worship you with a clean heart. So, Lord, I pray that our uh, that you would work, that you would encourage our hearts, that we would be an encouragement one to another. And everything that is done here (coughs) will bring you honor and glory. Lord, the the offering that will now be received is an act of worship. And I pray that we would give willingly, happily, for the blessings, the so many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you, Lord. I pray these things in the precious name of our King, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the Lord. Jehovah there is no god like Jehovah there is no god like Jehovah there is no god like Jehovah
0: Please be seated.
3: Let's try that again. There we go. Very good, very good. Boys and girls, you are dismissed for Bible Blast, so make sure you go out the door. Don't turn to the left, but turn to the right. There's a proverb in there somewhere. (laughs) Very good, boys and girls. Thank you so much. Uh, While you are all turning to uh, the first of several passages we're going to read at the beginning of the message today, 2 Timothy 4, chapter... Four verses one and two. I want to mention a couple of things to you real quickly. We got a wonderful note from uh, Jim and Donna Anderson this week in the office. They are just so grateful for the love and prayers that the church family here at Winneville Bible Church has extended to them. Uh, Jim is recovering well, slow, but Donna wrote, and so uh, just be pray, pray for them. He's doing okay. He's just probably trying a little harder than he should maybe sometime, but he's doing okay. So we'll be lifting them up in prayer. And I just want to encourage you to beat me to the craft sale and the bake sale. I have a bone to pick with somebody. I'm not sure who. I have an idea. But I went to my office before, Sunday, before worship and uh, to put my Sunday school notes away. And there on my desk is this gorgeous cherry pie. I love cherry pie. And there's a note on it that says, not for Papa. Yeah, we'll see about that. But I want to encourage you to stop by. I'm going to make my way after worship. I'm going to go right over to the the room number seven over there with you. And uh, if you have any questions about our ministry t- trip that we're going to be doing to Manitoulin Island with Daystar Native Outreach to minister to the Ojibwe community there, we'd love to have an opportunity to talk to you. Several of us from the team will be in there. And I want to encourage you to just buy the room out, buy it out, and be generous and just really help us on our way. We just love for that support. Thank you so much. And again, just a reminder that our tech crew could use a little help back there and uh, just check in with them. They'll be glad to help you. And then that that opportunity we have as a church to share the gospel and food and fellowship on August 5th uh, through the the cookout event is just going to be awesome. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. So we're continuing our sermon series, Creed. Creed, you'd better believe it. And as we begin today, I'd like us to read several passages, they're short, but I want to read them all to you. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is God's inerrant word. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great Patience and teaching. And then, if you'd flip over to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter is speaking. He says, He commanded us to preach. He, of course, is Jesus Christ. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And then, if you take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 17, And hear these words the Apostle Paul shared in that great Greek city of Athens, Acts 17 verses 30 and 31, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Would you join me in prayer please? Our dear heavenly Father as we come to your word this morning we ask you to to teach us and instruct us not only by the authority of your word but through the ministry of the holy spirit. Lord we're coming to a topic that is unfortunately one that's not really spoken of very much even within the church and certainly not in the world not the way Paul instructed Timothy, not the way that Peter came to realize, not the way that Paul had preached in that ancient and great city, Athens, that needed to know you in truth. But we live in a time when people also need to know you in truth. So we pray that you would be with us now, make our hearts soft and supple to the ministry of the word by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest paintings of all time is Michelangelo's painting, The Last Judgment. The action of the painting centers on Christ as he raises his arm in a gesture of damnation. Though some elements of the painting appear unbiblical, at the time its message reminded people of God's holy presence which had been forgotten in the humanism of the day. The dramatic painting pictures the dead as they are resurrected to be judged. As hell releases its captives, the judge of heaven reviews their works. The entire painting reflects the despair of that generation. When the painting was unveiled, There at the Sistine Chapel, a storm of conviction fell upon those who viewed it. All Europe trembled as the story of the power of the last judgment traveled from city to city across that great continent. Today, today we continue our sermon series, Creed. You'd better believe it. We've been examining the biblical backdrop to the Apostles' Creed, a succinct summary of critical Christian doctrine, and although there are unfortunately many today who see doctrine as a subject cold as ice, and nothing but controversial and divisive, Scripture itself calls us to not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. The Creed is an effort to do just that. Today's message brings us to the final exclamation of belief regarding the Lord Jesus Christ in the creed. We've been in a series, sort of a series within the series, these last five weeks, as we've turned our attention to the central part of the creed, which affirms what we believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And today, we arrive at the final statement. But our Lord Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ and that from there, that is from the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he will come to judge the living and the dead. If this statement was understood as it was intended to be, I'm quite certain it would generate a storm of conviction among the masses, much like Michelangelo's painting did, In fact, I believe dedicated uh, preaching and teaching on this point could transform our culture and society if individuals and churches weighed the implications and consequences of this truth. Let's take a look at this statement. I believe in Jesus Christ and that from there, that is from the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I want to warn you that today is going to be a very contrasting message. On the one hand, it is going to be very glorious and wonderful. But it is also going to be dreadful. I just want to give you a heads up about that as we go through the service and the message today. The big idea of the message is, I believe, Jesus Christ has authority to judge. It's an important statement. It's an important statement. We saw in Acts 40, 10.42 this statement from Peter. Jesus Christ commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. There is a word to preachers and teachers. Jesus Christ has commanded us to teach and preach that he is the very one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And when was the last time we heard a message about that? We're going to make three observations and uh, explanations about this statement out of the Apostles' Creed today. Here's the first one I want you to consider. It basically is an amplification of the big idea. I believe Jesus Christ will preside as judge over all. As I've already mentioned, today's message is the culmination of the previous five messages about Jesus Christ. If we believe that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son and is our Lord and Lord over everything, over the universe, and if we believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and if we believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and died and was buried, all on account of our sins, if we believe that he descended into hell and declared victory over life, death, and the forces of evil and darkness, if we believe that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, Almighty, then we must consequently believe that Jesus Christ will come. He will come from there, from the right hand of God the Father of Almighty, and he will judge the living and the dead. The logical, practical, and judicial consequence of all that we have come to know and believe about Jesus Christ brings us to this conclusion based on the clear and undeniable teaching of Scripture and that is that Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. He is King. And also Judge. He is Judge over the living and the dead. Of this, Scripture leaves no room for doubt. In fact, this isn't in my notes, but I do want to say this here. This is such an important theme in Scripture. That there are those who would say that the overarching theme of all of Scripture is the kingdom of Jesus Christ and its culmination, and that this event is a critical part of that. So, on behalf of other pastors and teachers who have not maybe taught this to you much, I want to apologize, because this is a major Name of scripture Each of the passages that we read at the beginning of the message today underscore this important reality each of us must come to grip with Yes you you must come to grip with the truth that Jesus Christ is judge over the living and the dead Yes you Let me share some insight from the passages that we just read 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 said, I solemnly solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Paul's word, just as Paul exhorts his younger pastoral protege, Timothy, I take this solemn charge seriously. It is my duty to preach the word. Without apology and without reservation in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to judge the living and the dead. Every one of us are going to be brought before the tribunal of Christ. So the work of preaching and teaching is intended to make sure we can stand secure in that day. That's why we preach. So here we are today. Acts 10, 42b, Peter coming to a new awareness. If you look at the context of Acts chapter 10, you find that Peter's coming to a new awareness of God's intent and purposes for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike. There's a watershed point in Peter's life. And that's why we saw at the end of that verse in Acts 10.42 that he said the resurrected Jesus Christ is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living And the dead. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who God has appointed as judge of all humanity. Perhaps now you see why the creed uses the wording that it does at this particular point. And then in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. We read them a few moments ago. Paul is in this ancient city of Greece known as Athens. It's a place with all kinds of godless idols. In fact, they even have a temple established. They wanted to make sure they covered their bases. They had to the, to the unknown God, just in case we missed one, here's a place for the God that we nobody might know about. And in preaching to that great city, Paul said those words we read a moment ago. Having overlooked the times of ignorance, Athens listen. Whitneyville Bible Church, listen. Live stream, listen. Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive that he will preside as judge over the living and the dead. And again, you see how today's message then is the culmination of all that we've learned from the creed as we have declared belief in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is proof of the righteous judgment coming upon all humanity. Jesus himself spoke of his appointment as judge. In John 5.22, he says, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And in his role as judge, the Lord Jesus Christ will judge everyone. Jesus will preside as judge over all believers and unbelievers alike. So let's see what scripture has to say in both cases. This brings me to my next point. I believe that Jesus Christ will preside as judge at the bema. I believe Jesus Christ will preside as judge at the bema. The Bible speaks of two specific court dates, if you will, when Jesus will preside as judge. The first one is what the New Testament identifies as the bema or the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, there are three principal biblical references to the judgment seat of Christ, that is, the Here are two of them, Romans 14.10. Some of you are familiar with the book of Romans in the context of chapter 14, which I won't go into right now, but listen to this statement out of verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear, speaking to believers, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now this term, judgment seat, comes from a Greek word in a Greek concept. That's the word bema. bima. The bima is taken from the Grecian games where successful athletes were rewarded for victory in athletic competition. The bima, the judgment seat, as Paul uses the term, does does not denote judgment concerning eternal destiny, but rather rewarding believers from the age of the church for faithfulness in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul used this image of the judgment seat of Christ to denote the giving of rewards to church age saints. The purpose of the judgment seat of Christ will be recompense, will be reward, it will be payment for deeds done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now, there's a third passage on this subject, a little lengthier, and is deserving of an exposition all its own, but for now, Let me share the passage with you and then make some general observations on it, and then also the other ones that I've just mentioned. 1 Corinthians 3, those of you taking notes, verses 9 to 15, let me read it to you. For we are God's co-workers, you're God's field, God's building. According to God's grace it was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another... Builds on it. Paul goes on. He says, But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than what has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. As co-laborers with God. As his cultivated Field as as builders in a spiritual construction project, we have an eternally significant duty to be intentional and particular about what we do and how we do it in relation to Jesus Christ and to one another. In this text, Paul elaborates on the imagery of working together in a building project explains that his apostolic ministry is, is foundational, it's, it's basic, it's, it's fundamental, a type of spiritual infrastructure, if you will. He refers to himself as a skilled master builder, and he infers that we are to follow suit, that is, demonstrate faithful, skillful mastery in our work, For Jesus Christ and his church. He says the foundation is Jesus Christ. We must never forget this. It's not any individual. It's not anybody's preferences. It's not any tradition. It's not a denomination or association of churches. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church and of every genuine, authentic Christian life. There is no other foundation. There is no other foundation. The foundational role and significance of Jesus Christ in the life of the church and every believer is the principal reason so much of the Apostles' Creed focuses on him. On him. And that is why this final statement of the Creed today reminds us of his impending and inevitable judgment. Center to your life, excuse me, center your life, center your life in every respect on Jesus Christ. Since Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which we build, we must make sure that we take great care how we build on that foundation. Paul reminds us of some options available to us as building materials. Notice all building materials are not equal or adequate. Some build, as he describes it, with gold, silver, and costly stones. You understand what he's talking about. He's talking about things that are of value and, and costly. By way of illustration, they remind us of that which is permanent, beautiful, valuable, and hard to obtain. These represent what we are to use in building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Others, Paul points out, build with wood, hay, or straw. These are all temporary, ordinary, ordinary at best, and some, in some cases even ugly. but cheap, common, and relative, relatively easy to obtain. Paul is suggesting that they're worthless building materials. By way of illustration, they remind us of that which is fleeting, is unsightly, worthless, and commonplace. They represent what we are not to use in building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And did you notice what he said? Each one's work will become obvious. How? How? Because each and every individual and each and every work will be tested. And proven by fire. You know what happens when you put gold, silver, and costly stones through the fire? They come out better. You know what happens when you put wood, hay, and straw in a fire? (laughs) We need to really pay attention to what we're going to build our lives upon, dear ones, what we are going to build our church upon. As husbands and wives, We need to build our relationships with gold, silver, costly stones, not wood, hay, or straw. As dads and moms, we need to build with gold, silver, and costly stones, not wood, hay, and straw that the world would have us build with. As godly children and boys and girls, we need to build with gold, silver, and costly stones. Not wood, hay, or straw. As Christ-following, God-honoring employees, we need to build with gold, silver, and costly stones. Not wood, hay, straw. As students with character and integrity, we need to build with gold, silver, and costly stones. Not wood, hay, or straw. In our, church. in our church, we need to pay attention to what we're going to build this ministry upon as we contemplate great opportunities for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We need to build with gold, silver, and costly stones, not wood, hay, or straw. As we live in a time of transitioning economies and social structures, we need to build into the fabric of our church family that which is gold, silver, and precious stones, not wood, hay, straw. As the church in the United States faces and experiences increasing hostility and incredible persecution, we need to build the work of Christ with gold, silver, costly stones, not wood, hay, and straw. Yes, everyone's work will be tested and proven by fire. The test by fire will reveal the quality of each person's work. The results will vary. Results will vary. If a person is built with the right motives, materials, and methods, their work will survive and they will be rewarded. If a person is built with the wrong motives, materials, and methods, their work will be consumed, but they will be saved. Remember, remember, our works don't save us. Our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Saves us. I'm afraid if you haven't gotten that message by now, you haven't been listening the last several weeks. But since our personal day of salvation, we have a choice on what motives, materials, and methods we will use to build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. That foundation can never be destroyed, but our efforts could be, if not done properly. The thing to remember is if the believer's works are genuine, he is rewarded. Isn't that a good word? Here's something to think about. I want you to consider some of the rewards awaiting the faithful followers of Jesus Christ who build on him as their foundation with the right motives, materials, and methods. The New Testament speaks of various crowns and rewards to be awarded to Christ followers in various aspects of faithfulness. First Corinthians 9. 25 and 27, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown at the Bema, by the way. But we have an imperishable crown. Paul goes on in verse 27, he says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Disqualified. And then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus speaking to the church in Philadelphia, not the church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in Asia Minor. He says, I'm coming soon. Coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The imperishable crown. Given to those who master the old nature by the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then again, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10, this time Jesus is talking to the church in Smyrna, a church which has been battered and persecuted and attacked. And he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, And you will experience affliction for ten days be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life sounds a little ironic doesn't it faithful to the point of death and get a crown of life Hmm. the crown of life is given to those who have successfully endured trials and temptations for the name and sake of Jesus Christ 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Again, Paul challenging his uh, younger protege. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is close. These are some of the last words that Paul wrote before he was executed. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul's telling us here at the end of his life, he knows he's about to be executed. He said, I'm looking forward to the coming of Christ. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm not bemoaning my, my miserable situation in this awful Roman Empire. No, he's saying, I'm looking beyond, way beyond that. The crown of righteousness is given to those who especially love and anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus, that is, those who are living in light of Christ's return. First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. Peter says, Shepherd God's flock among you. He's speaking to the pastors, the elders, and the overseers of his church audience. He says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Crown of glory. It's going to be given to pastors, elders, overseers, who faithfully preach and teach the Word of God, and lovingly shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ under their care, that is, the church, that is, the people in their congregation that are under their care. The Bible speaks of other rewards. Matthew 10, verse 42, Jesus says, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of the, these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. The Lord Jesus promises an enduring reward for kindness and benevolence to other people, especially those within the household of faith. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20. We looked at this passage two summers ago. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. One of the great rewards that you and I can look forward to if we're faithful is those that we've introduced to Christ and have come to faith and are going to join us in glory. What a wonderful thing. What a marvelous reward. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. We have no idea. We have no idea of the ultimate glory that we're going to share when Jesus Christ rewards and awards his faithful followers. Revelation 4, 9-11. to 11, Whenever the living creatures give glory. Oh, Revelation 4 and 5 are marvelous chapters. They give us a glimpse into glory. Into the throne room of God. Whatever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders who are representatives of the Lord Jesus Church, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory. And honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Here's what we will do with all those crowns and all those rewards and all those awards. They will be returned to Jesus Christ for his eternal honor and glory. So I want you to remember what we read a few moments back in Romans chapter 14 verse 10. Since all believers... Since all believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we have no business passing judgment on one another based on our own preferences and perspectives and self imposed standards. We live in unity with Christ as Lord and in harmony with one another in love. We leave all final and ultimate judgments in His capable hands as our Savior. Lord and King and allow his standards to direct us in our relationships with one another. And remember what we read in 2 Corinthians 5:10, the Christ followers works will be examined whether done by self effort or whether not whether or they were done by God through that individual. This all takes place after the rapture of the church and before the second coming of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. And we're told then that we will return with Christ, having been rewarded and awarded with the responsibility and honor to assist King Jesus, Judge Jesus, in executing his judgment. Think of that. In that great and terrible day at the end of all time, the unbelieving dead will be raised from their graves given a resurrected body fit for their eternal destiny, and judged according to their unbelief and unrighteousness. That brings me to my third point in your notes this morning. I believe Jesus Christ will preside as judge at the great white throne. The Bible clearly speaks of yet another judgment that is coming. Again, our Lord Jesus Christ will preside as judge on that day too. The Bible calls this other day of judicial vindication the great white throne judgment. We read of it in Revelation chapter 20. I encourage you to turn there in your Bible. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. John writes to us of what he saw. He says, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. The idea is that there's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go in the presence of Jesus as judge. I also saw the dead, the great, and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And everyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is distinct from the Bima, the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is an awful event where all unbelievers of all time will be judged for their faithlessness, their unrighteousness, and for their rejection of God and of his Christ. The book of Revelation goes on to describe those who will be judged at the great white throne. Over in chapter 21, verse 8, it says, The cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In the last sermon in this creed series, we will be looking at resurrection. And just like we're seeing here, these two judgments, we're going to learn of two resurrections. At least two resurrections, actually. But here's what I want you to think about. The great white throne judgment is inevitable and inescapable for all unbelievers. There is no place to hide. There is no way to avoid it. No one's social standing. No one's so-called influence. No one's supposed position. No one will be exempted. Great and small alike will be required to appear before our Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous Lord king and judge of the universe. Notice the reference to books that we read about in Revelation 20. If you have your Bible still open, you can see that there. There's a reference to books. It's a record of the works of the individuals standing before the great white throne. We saw that in the context. And then there's this reference to the book of life. And as this passage and others tell us, those who have found life in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, Their name is written into the book of life. But I want you to notice something. None of that great assembly at the great white throne judgment will have their name found in the book of life. Can you even imagine the horror of somebody who's believed lies and deceived themselves that they were okay with God? And that book is opened and their name is not found. And they're cast into eternal damnation. The record of heaven will be clear, accurate, and indisputable. Each person will be judged according to their works. The judgment will be righteous and just. In the most ultimate way possible, all judgments at the great white throne will be fair and no one will be able to disagree. There will be a judge. But there will be no jury. There will be a prosecution, but there will be no defense. There will be a sentence, but there will be no appeal. There are numerous other passages of Scripture that speak of that terrible day. Each one lays down yet another layer of meaning and understanding to the dreadful significance of the great white throne judgment. I'm just going to mention a few. John 3, 18 and 19, if you're remembering well, you recognize that these verses are part of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in that midnight Bible conference up on top of that roof. Following verses uh, 16 and 17, Jesus says, anyone who believes in him, in the Son of God, is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned condemned. I want you to understand something. Every single one of us, all of humanity, before we ever have come to know Jesus Christ, stand condemned. Anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment, Jesus says to Nicodemus. The light has come into the world and people love darkness. Rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. The depravity and darkness of humanity. And their unbelief. Leaves them in a state of judgment. Earlier this year. We studied the book of Jude. Verses 14 to 15. We read these words. And why do you think of this? This is a prophetic word. That comes from way back early. In the history of humanity. Jude says it was about these wicked people. That Enoch. In the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Remember? The emphasis there that Jude is giving us about that day of judgment. It's targeting the ungodly, the godless. Those who have rejected God and his Christ. This is our natural state. And it is only by the grace of God any of us have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ's redemptive work. By the gift of faith that only he can give us. But mankind has its heart and mind set. Against God, and that brings an alarming consequence. 2 Peter 2 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's a good word. It's a good word. He says, The Lord knows how to rescue godly, the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So even now, even now the unrighteous who have died are not in some state of limbo, but are actually already experiencing a degree of punishment and are awaiting their day in court before the great white throne. First Peter 1, 17. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. God judges all impartially, both believers and unbelievers. His judgment is not a one-size-fits-all approach, but specific, impartial, and just judgment and a fitting decision in each and every case. Matthew ten fifteen. This is a word of warning regarding those that reject and disregard the ministry of the word of God brought to them by Christ's representatives. Jesus is speaking. He says, truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. I have to say something to you. I wonder if the United States is that town. The word of grace has come to our country like no other country has ever experienced it. And yet they trample the name of the Lord Jesus and his gospel under their feet. If you know anything at all about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know Peter is really saying something right here. Psalm 98 Verses 7 to 9, Pastor Dave read for these verses to set up the, me- the service today. It's an exultant psalm, as he said, praising the king. It says, let the sea and all that fills us, psalm 98 verse 7, let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming To judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. We are to joyously worship and praise and celebrate God because he is going to judge us all. Back in Psalm 9. Verses 7 to 8, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment and he judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. Just as there will be a spectrum of rewards for faithful Christ followers, I believe there will be degrees of punishment for unbelievers. Again, in each case, there will be no dispute but a recognition that God has executed perfect justice in each and every case. Another passage, Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What a formidable thought. If the anticipation of that dreadful day does not strike terror into your very soul, then I lovingly and respectfully suggest you are not in Christ and have a weak and incomplete knowledge of the one true God and of his Christ, the Lord Jesus. There is hope. There is hope. Let me assure you, you can escape this frightful judgment by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. By doing so, you will never be part of the second resurrection, as we'll study in a few weeks, or experience the terrors of the second death, the lake of fire, or the terrible judgment of the great white throne. Here is the word of hope of which I speak, right from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. John five twenty four. Truly, I tell you, every time Jesus said that, Truly, I tell you, he's saying, listen, listen up, listen up. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now that's good news. I must ask, I must ask, have you trusted him? Have you passed from death to life? Dear ones, hear the big idea of the message one last time today. I believe Jesus Christ has authority to judge. And you can insert your name right after that. Jesus Christ has authority to judge me. I like this quote from William Culbertson, he's a former president of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I remember when we were students there, Dr. George Sweeting, who was then the president of the institute at that time, shared this quote several times with us. Sometimes those of us who hold that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again are spoken of as pessimists, Dr. Culbertson said. He went on, I think it can be truly said that we are really the ones who have any right To be optimistic. I hope you understood what I said now at the beginning of the message. Both glorious word and a dreadful word, right? It has come to be known as New England's Dark Day. The date was May 19th, 1780. A particular place. Hartford, Connecticut. It was on that day that an unusual darkening of the daytime sky occurred and was observed actually over uh, many of the New England states and parts of eastern Canada. The primary cause of the unusual event was not known or realized at that time. However, it was later, determ- later determined that New England's dark day, as it was come to be known, was caused by a combination of smoke from forest fires. Imagine that, a thick fog and dense cloud cover. The darkness was so complete and pervasive that candles were required from that day at noon all the way through the rest of that day, through the night, into the next day, and all the way into the night of the next day for an entire day and a half. The darkness did not disperse until in the middle of the night of that second day. So those in Hartford, Connecticut, found the unusual phenomena so formidable, many speculated that the day of judgment was upon them. It was a day like nobody had ever seen. And as the skies mysteriously and drastically turned from blue to gray, and by mid-afternoon had blackened over so densely that a number of religious men then fell on their knees, and they begged the Almighty for a final blessing before the end came. The Connecticut House of Representatives was in session that day, and some of the men fell on their knees, and others clamored for an immediate adjournment. The Speaker of the House, Colonel Abraham Davenport, came to his feet. He silenced the assembly, and he said these words that have lived on from that day on on until now. He said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. Hmm. Dear ones, may I suggest that for those of us who have truly put our faith and trust in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a very wise and thoughtful perspective. Be about the duty of our Savior, Lord, King, and Judge, each and every moment of each and every day. If you are among those who find yourself facing that great day with fear and trembling, let me implore you once again, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. I believe Jesus Christ has authority to judge. To judge me? I believe in Jesus Christ, that from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. What do you believe? Let's pray. Exalted King, Lord and Savior. We confess to you that too much of the time we ignore these profound truths we've been studying this morning. They're difficult. They are. They're hard. If we're paying attention at all, they shake us to our very core. And if we're not paying attention, I suppose we don't really care what we've heard today. I fear for those who would be in that situation. But as we've heard your word today... Would you help each and every one of us to leave this place with absolute assurance, one way or the other, that we know that we are, in fact, in Christ, the one who we've been learning and studying about to such a depth this last number of weeks. And if, in fact, we don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, Lord, King, and Judge, may we be assured of that, too. For those of us who know you, may you help us live in a way that builds our lives on the foundation that is you, Jesus Christ. And may we look forward to the day that we inherit our great and glorious eternal reward. You are our ultimate reward. And I pray for everyone who has not yet made the decision to trust Christ in this way, that today would be their day of salvation and that they would find true life, eternal life in Jesus Christ, and come out from condemnation and judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's exalt you today, Lord Jesus, in all that we say and do. In your name, I pray, amen. Let's stand.
2: Exalted the king is exalted on high. I will pray.
3: I'd like to invite you to meet me and some of the rest of our team over in the, we're having the bake sale out here. You go up to the center doors and down to room seven. The goal of what we're trying to do is, of course, we want to enjoy the wonderful treats that we've made. They're wonderful, my goodness. There's plenty for everybody. Get in there. Buy us out. Clean off the tables. The whole reason, dear ones, is so that this team can go to Manitoulin Island and proclaim liberty and freedom to those who are captive to sin and death and judgment and introduce them to our King, our Lord and Savior that they might know abundant life. So I encourage you to please be generous and send us on our way with that blessing. As we leave today hear these words out of Hebrews chapter 9 verses 27 and 28 just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment so also Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I hope that is your hope. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. Walk with a king. Be a blessing.